Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're going to talk about the history of the King James Version and independent Baptists. Since we were prompted by a question from yeah. the last listener, yep, so everyone we, loves to talk about King James onlyism. Yeah, it's a fun topic. It's not really controversial either, so it's... Right. You can have a even t- discussion about it without worrying about any... No one really takes a hard stand on it that I know of. Yeah. Can you think of anybody that's no. sort of... Yeah. Everybody's pretty even-tempered about it. For those of uh, for those of you who are listening who are not independent Baptists, that was all sarcasm. Uh, so I should explain it for people who don't know. Yeah, that's true. And among Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, meaning they're not affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention or the Northern Baptist Convention or Free Will Baptist... Currently, and for the past 20 or so years, 30 years, there's been a big, well, that's not really a debate. It's been, the position is that the King James Version of the Bible, authorized by King James in 1611, is the only translation that we should, should be used. So if you switch to another version you in, in this position, you compromise the Word of God itself, and you've undermined the Scriptures. So obviously it's a very controversial issue. And many thousands of pastors and members and churches hold to this. Uh, and it's still ongoing. So we're going to talk about the history of that in relation to independent Baptist and how it progressed from the past to the present. Because independent Baptists tend to hold uh, to what they believe is a traditional or historic position of the Bible, which means they draw from the history of their movement. Okay, so what is the traditional position on the scriptures uh, from a Baptist perspective? And is it King James only? Which, it's interesting because the King James Version was printed in 1611, and the First Baptist Confession was also printed in 1611. So there's no mention of the two in there, because it, it took a while for it to catch on. But here is the Second London Confession, which was six, 1689, which is... One of the most popular uh, back then and maybe still today. So, speaking of the scriptures, it says, The Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all people of God, who have a right unto an interest in the scripture. Uh, therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar tongue of every nation. So, the original statement being, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God and kept pure in all ages. So, what was kept pure? The original languages. Right. So, the that confession, which is one of the more popular ones, expresses the idea that the the scriptures were breathed out by God and that refers to the original languages and that they should be translated, but the translations are different than the original languages. Uh, so that's the traditional Baptist position, 1600s, 1700s, is that the original languages were inspired, or the original manuscripts were inspired and that they were preserved. So we have the manuscripts today, which I think we have 5,200 or something uh, copies of manuscripts, so it's, a, it's the largest of any ancient document. And there were the thing is, there wasn't a lot of options back then, so everyone was either using the Geneva Bible or the King James in English. So then something changed in 1880, 
two famous gentlemen named Mr. Westcott and Mr. Hort. Funny thing, B.F. Westcott has a great commentary on Hebrews. It's very helpful. Unless you think he's a heretic. <laughs> Read his commentary on Hebrews and I think everyone will be pleasantly surprised. They found uh, more documents. Old, what, what were older documents, older manuscripts, copies of the scriptures, and so which differed slightly from the manuscripts used for the King James and the majority text. So the majority of manuscripts kind of match each other, and then there's this other older position that they had discovered. And they wanted to update the Bible, the, the translation of the Greek text, based on these older manuscripts. And so they came out with the revised version, or revised edition in 1881. And this is where you see the King James debate pick up. So the King James translated 611, not a lot of controversy. 1880, the Greek manuscript was changed by Westcott. It's called the Westcott and Hort manuscript, which, by the way, no one uses that anymore. Right. Like that was, it's been updated so many times that the Westcott and Hort is sort of this ancient document that nobody uses. Most people use uh, Nestle Allen or UBS. But at that time, it was it. It was the new Greek manuscript. The controversy was whether the Greek manuscripts behind the translations were reliable. So Westcott and Hort said they need to be updated. The biggest opponent was a guy named uh, John Burgeon, who was the dean of Chichester, which is a town in England. <laughs> so he was an Anglican, and they call him Dean Burgeon. And so he wrote a book, The Revision Revised in 1885, I think, which is very harsh condemnation of this this sort of West Cotton Hort. But he didn't really argue for the King James. He argued for the Greek behind it, and he actually only argued for the majority text. Which he also defended the King James because of the translation based on it. But he was really arguing for the Greek manuscript, the traditional text is what he called it. So that was the sort of the start of the King James only debate. Not really the King James, but the Greek behind it, Texas Receptus, traditional manuscript. Right. So I was about to ask you, because you said that he didn't defend the necessarily the text for the King James. Right. I just clarify that. So yeah. majority so text is something slightly right. different than... Yeah. So the majority text, or the Byzantine text, is you get all the copies together, and where they differ, you go with what most of them say. Texas Receptus is not quite the majority text. In some places, it takes a minority reading. And takes fewer manuscripts, but they think they're better. So Burgeon went with the majority text, which compared to Westcott and Hort's, the majority text and the text receptus are basically the same thing compared to the Westcott and Hort. So they get mixed up sometimes. Uh, okay, so then they they published the revised version, which isn't really popular. People still use the King James, like Spurgeon. Spurgeon used the King James. He actually agreed with Westcott and Hort in some places. But the translation was so bad that I think Spurgeon said the Greek is good, but the English is terrible. But he liked it for the Greek, but he didn't like it for the for the English translation. And he said, and he said, so use the King James. And he said, and don't make uh, every old lady in your church doubt their their old King James. So he died in 1892. So he was around for that part. And he was not King James only, though he only used the King James, but more for style reasons. The interesting thing is when this position comes out, the King James and the traditional text being defended, a popular defense to this day is sort of the age of it, the longevity of it, how it's been used, 
how it's been supported by so many people in churches, which is not a new argument. This is actually was used for the Catholic Vulgate. So I'm going to read from the Canons and Decrees of the Council of Trent, which was 1545. So in the fourth session, Catholic Church, this is sort of reacting to Luther. They said that this council declares that the old Latin Vulgate edition, which was translated by Jerome in 400. So it's been around, this is 1542, so over a thousand years. So it declares that the old Latin Vulgate edition, which in use for so many hundreds of years, has been approved by the church, being public lectures, disputations, sermons, and expositions held as authentic, and that no one dare or presume under any pretext whatsoever to reject it. Which, right, that's the same argument as for the, the sort of traditional text is it's been around for so long, it's been approved by the church, public sermons, revivals, meetings, expositions. So the argument, obviously, it's two different Bibles or two different translations, one being the Vulgate, one being the King James, but the argument's still the same. And it's it's the desire to have a reliable translation. And so you go with the one that's been around for a long time and sort of tried and true. So by 1880s, King James had been around for, what, 260 years or something? And obviously, this new, brand new translation is not going to have this sort of reliability. So then they print the, uh, so that's in England. They print the revised version, then it comes to America, the American version. But really, the big one was the uh, revised standard version, the RSV. So that came out in 1946. And that's the one that really challenged. And that's where you see the King James debate kicking up. Before that, there was little spots here and there, but no one really talked about it. When RSV came out, it challenged the King James in America. So that was 46. The New Testament got published. Old Testament got published in 1952. So what was the Baptist position on this? Well, I know one Baptist, John R. Rice, who 46, he was publishing The Sword of the Lord, which was getting very large. He actually sold the RSV in the paper. Wow. So if you look up 1945, 46, 47, Sword of the Lord, you'll see an advertisement for the New Testament RSV. Now, when the Old Testament came out, everyone hated it because it changed Isaiah 7.14, where it says, um, a virgin shall conceive. RSV says a young girl or a maiden will conceive. And then they realized there were liberals, theological liberals on the translation committee, and everyone felt like they were trying to undermine the virgin birth, which they probably were. (laughs) (laughs) They were liberals. So, but that the Old Testament hadn't come out, it came out six years later. So when the Old Testament came out, John R. Rice and others rejected it. But before that, he was he was selling copies of the RSV to Baptist in his paper. Uh, okay, so it kind of do- doesn't really pick up a lot of speed until the 70s. And then you got someone like um, Peter Ruckman. But the two Baptists that have the biggest influence are, well, in 56... A Presbyterian who went to like Westminster, uh, Edward Hills, published a book called The King James Version Defended. And so that's not a Baptist book, but it's been very popular among Baptists. Then in the 70s, David Otis Fuller and D.A. Waite. Fuller publishes Which Bible, 1970. And he's a Baptist. Now he draws from a Seventh-day Adventist by name Wilkinson for a lot of his arguments, which is problematic. So DA, so that's the that's the beginning. I remember my dad telling me that when he would go to conferences in the seventies, 
like sword conferences at the Bible table. <laughs> he would go up to the table and he'd heard about it. And he's like, is, do you have this book? Which Bible? And the guy reached under the table and pulled a copy out. He's like, is this what you want? <laughs> sold it to him. Like, this is sort of like drug deal. <laughs> so it was sort of like this undercover thing where, where independent Baptists weren't really promoting it. But that was, a, that was 1970. Then D.A. Waite publishes uh, a book about the King James in 78. They joined together to create the Dean Burgeon Society. So remember, Dean Burgeon was the guy back in 1880 to defend the King James. And part of this is because new translations are coming up, the modern translations. The thing about those two guys, which is interesting, is they did not believe the King James was inspired. They only believed the originals were inspired. Right. So their position was it was a faithful translation of the inspiration. So big on the TR, Textus mm-hmm. Receptus. Textus Receptus was a preserved word. King James was an accurate and faithful translation. So technically they were not King James only. They, they theoretic, theoretically said you could have a new translation. But practically they were King James only. So they said the King James was not perfect and it was not inspired. It was just a faithful, accurate but if, if you watch their behavior, they would be King James only, uh, practically. Then Ruckman comes out, and Ruckman says the King James actually corrects the Greek. So, And he basically says, he actually does say, the King James was inspired. In other words, translators were guided by God to pick words for the translation. What we would maybe call double inspiration. But he was the one, we talked about this before, he was the one who really picked speed up. So this is the 70s. So where are Baptists on this? Well, John R. Rice addresses this. So he's the most prominent uh, fundamentalist, independent Baptist. Yeah, so John R. Rice, uh, in his book, I Am a Fundamentalist, which he wrote in 1975. So right in the middle of this, sort of like not long after these books were published, he said, if I say that the American Standard Version of the Bible is a good version, though we prefer the King James Version, I get letters from ardent extremists saying that the King James Version, even the translation, is perfectly done without error. Then his preference for certain Greek manuscripts origin perverted the scriptures that Westcott and Hort, perhaps the leading scholars who agree on the Greek manuscripts, uh, were deliberate deceivers. He says, they strain at gnats and swallow camels. Hmm. He goes on to uh, go even further with that and say, uh, attacks Peter Ruckman. When Peter Ruckman sets out to say that only he and a few others in the world are right on the matter of manuscript evidence for the Bible, and says that in the King James Version, the translation itself was inspired of God and is without error, and all are translations of perversions, uh, and that all are modernists or hypocrites or ignorant who do not agree that the King James Version, even the translation, is inspired perfectly. Which, would you agree that is the current position of a lot of King James independent Baptists, King James only, that all are modernists or hypocrites or ignorant who do not agree that the King James Version, even the translation, is inspired perfectly? Yeah, I mean, there's some nuance. Sure. But there's a large portion, at least, that that would be... They would agree with that statement. So he says, someone who says that, then we know that 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 arrogant attitude, that calling of good men by bad names, shows that the man cannot be trusted in doctrine. I can say that I prefer the King James Version of the Bible. I think for general use it is the best. But I know that translations themselves are not guaranteed by the scriptures. And I know that sometimes the American Standard Version can give help in places where other translations are not perfect. So that's John R. Rice. And he writes in his other book, our God-breathed book, that no translation is perfect, 
and that all the translations combined give us the word of God. So that's 1975, which represents the, I would say it represents the majority of independent Baptists. So connection with that, Lee Robertson, who pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church and founder of Tennessee Temple, which in the 70s was running about 5,000 students, probably one of the largest independent Baptist seminaries. He had several teachers who taught from the American Standard Version, and he hosted the New King James Translating Committee on the campus. And his primary Hebrew teacher, James Price, who I actually studied under too, was the executive editor of the Old Testament on the New King James. So Lee Robertson, who was you know friends with Rice and leader of this huge school, promoted the New King James. So if you're an independent Baptist in the 70s, you probably weren't a King James only guy, though you may have used it. So it's this, if you look at the history of it, King James onlyism is not a is not a big thing. Lee Robertson's not for it. Jack Howells is not for it. I actually have a book here, uh, The Study of Revelation by Jack Howells, in which he so he wrote this in 1967. And in one place he says, the word angel, this is the book of Revelation, the word angel here should be eagle because of the manuscript evidence. So the King James says angel. He's saying it should follow the revised version and say angel. Throughout the book, he, he refers to the revised version over the King James. So that's Jack Hiles. So Price is the executive editor of the New King James, works for Lee Robertson at Tennessee Temple. Jack Hiles is publishing a commentary using the RSV, correcting the King James. When the new King, so John R. Rice dies in 1980. When the new King James comes out in 81, I think, they put out a, a pamphlet called Why the New King James, and it lists the names of the people who, of, you know, the hundred scholars. So in the New King James North American Overview Committee, here are some of the names of the New King James Overview Committee. Um, W.A. Criswell, Truman Dollar, who actually wrote a book on fundamentalism. Jerry Falwell, who was protege of, of or protege of John R. Rice. A.V. Henderson. Here's a good one. Curtis Hudson. So Curtis Hudson was Rice's successor, editor of the New King, of the, uh, Sword of the Lord. So he's in the official publication of the New King James as one of the overview committee members. So whatever he became, I'm not exactly sure the trajectory of his life, but in the beginning, he was not King James only and actually helped produce the new King James while he was editing the Sword of the Lord. John, uh, Jack Hiles, also not King James only. Then things change in the 80s. Okay, so the first time I can find anything on Jack Hiles switching is 1984, which is significant because that's when the NIV came out. And the NIV is the first translation that actually outsold the King James. So before the NIV, you had like the New American Standard, I think, and the RSV and the ASV, but no one was really touching the King James. 84, NIV comes out, and now the King James is actually surpassed. So it really heats up at this point. And so Jack Hiles, who worked with Rice for 20 plus years, preached with him thousands of times, never mentions this King James as far as I can tell. In 84, he says in a sermon called Logic Must Prove the King James Bible, he says, it bothers me when people say, we believe the Bible in the original manuscripts is the word of God, which is which Rice said. Mm-hmm. His whole ministry said that. Uh, and, and Jack Hiles, who's on the board of the sword, said the same thing. If that's true, we have no Bible. Do you hear what I said? We have no Bible. 
Uh, so he holds up the King James and he says, either what I hold in my hand is the word of God or we don't have any word of God. So, you know, like a nuanced position, mm. right? It's like yeah. nuance. So Hiles made the King James Version equivalent to the word of God. And once you do that, all the fundamentalist arguments defending the word of God now become defenses of the King James Version. So he takes this new position for for him, for him and for most independent Baptists. So he's sort of taking on a Ruckman position. And then he goes on to say, you say, I don't like your preaching. And you can hear a little bit of that Ruckmanism. He goes, I don't give a flip. I don't like your liberalism either. I don't like your compromise. I don't like your dirty NIV Bible. I don't like your dirty ASV Bible. Remember the ASV Bible, which is he used and Hiles used. Uh, or your revised standard version of the Bible. I'm trying to say anybody that's got any sense to understand this Bible, and you can understand it, you've got the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you. And he said he will lead you into all truth. So maybe you liberals ought to have a bigger Bible. So Hiles has gone a few years from being okay with these other versions to saying you're a liberal if you don't use the King James. And that's a big shift. That's going to more of a Ruckmanite position. Most of what we see coming in the 80s and 90s and now is from that, not historically. And I think people now don't realize that it was different. They feel like it's always been this way and they can see people defending the King James in the past all the way back into the 1800s and they think it was like this, but it wasn't. Ruckman, Hiles in the 80s, they changed things. And it has to be understood that independent Baptists did not typically believe that. I had one person tell me, who's reliable, that there was a, a sword meeting or a pastor school, I can't remember, it was one of those big meetings and one of the prominent fundamentalists I don't know his name exactly, so I'm not going to repeat it because I can't remember exactly. Was on the platform speaking in the 70s and late 70s. And he was going on, you know, how you kind of get the crowd going. Yeah. We believe in the Bible and Jesus died on the cross. And he says, and the King James Version. And the crowd went crazy. And one of them looked to the other and he goes, and he sort of said, he goes, well, that's new. And that was late 70s, maybe early 80s. If I got that, if you know that story, if you, if you were there, you, uh, know somebody about that and I got that story wrong, please email me because I'd love to get the original accurate version. But it fits within the timeline. Independent Baptists were not King James only. Lee Robertson was promoting the new King James. John R. Rice was promoting the ASV. But in the 80s, it switched. And, and the NIV was really what drove it. It was sort of like, oh, no, they're going to take our King James. We're losing it. We need something to hold on to. Jerry Falwell kind of went a different way into politics, left King James Version behind. But Hiles sort of led that. Curtis Hudson promoted the New King James, but I think he changed later. Then his successor, Sheldon Smith, who is the current editor of the Sword of the Lord, takes an interesting position, um, different than Hiles, or different than Rice. So in an edition of the Sword of the Lord, March 6, 2009, he directly addresses his position on the King James. He says... Therefore, when I hold the King James Bible in my hand, I hold the inspired text. So he says the Bible was inspired once when it was written in Hebrew and Greek, which that's the traditional position. Going back to like the 1689 right. uh, confession, John R. Rice's confession, it, it was inspired. God breathed. He gave the words in Greek and Hebrew and marvelously and miraculously preserved his inspired word for us today, which that's a pretty historical, historically accurate position. Then he says, here's the position of the sword of the Lord. 
We have the, his inspired word in the Hebrew Masoretic text of the Old Testament and the Greek Texas Receptus text of the New Testament. Pretty historic. It goes all the way back to 1600. Then he goes on. We have his inspired word preserved for us in English in the King James Bible. As I hold the King James Bible in my hands, if it is not the inspired word of God, then what on earth is it? You see the jump? The Bible is inspired in Greek and Hebrew. Then he says, if I don't have the inspired King James, then what is it? He said, are you telling me it is somehow the word of God, but yet not inspired? So he's trying to navigate two fields. He's trying to be historic like Bryce, Greek and Hebrew. But then he's taking on this new sort of 1980s afterwards. It sounds like the same thing that Heil said. Yeah, this Bible I hold in my hand. So the sword has transitioned sharply from Rice, who's using the ASV, who's saying there's errors in the King James that should be translated differently in some places, to more of this modern position where the King James Version is inspired. Now, the thing about inspired means God breathed. So did God breathe out the words of the King James? Take it up with people who say that, but it seems to be a conflicting position that, that sort of, it's a hybrid of the traditional Baptist position and this new King James only position. So that's the transition from early Baptist. So what's the historic Baptist position? That the Bible's inspired in the original manuscripts. What's the historic independent Baptist position? that the Bible is inspired in the originals. And maybe I guess you could say that the King James Version is the best version. It's the best translation it's of the best translation inspired. Of, yes. Uh, but in the past 35 years, the independent Baptist position has been that the King James Version is inspired. And some would say that's sort of the old paths or, or historic or Bible. But I'm under, under the impression that if it's in my lifetime... <laughs> <laughs> it's not old paths. Just as a standard, like I'm only in my 30s. So if it wasn't around before I was born, as a traditional position, it's it's not really. If, if it's not older than Atari. <laughs> right. It can't be old paths. Right. If video games came out before this position, it's not old paths. Uh, so I guess you could say that the that it's been a position since the 50s or 60s. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think listening to it, Listening to how you've laid out the switch, it can feel connected. Yeah. Because it was, we're defending the King James as the best translation from the best manuscripts. Right. So you can read those old accounts of people saying why you should use the King James. Right. And people are still saying why you should use the King James. And there's the underlying shift where the reason for the argument's different. Yeah. And but what they're it, saying about the King James right. is different. Yeah. But it at on the surface level, it can feel like right. it is an old position. Yeah. Even though when you dig into it, Dean Burgeon did not believe that the manuscripts were, were inerrant, that the copies had mistakes. He didn't spend a lot of time on it because it didn't matter at that point because he was going against a completely different tradition. But he said that the, the text receptus and the majority text could be improved. Well, that's not King James only. And he never said the King James was perfect. He just said it was the best translation of the best text. The D.A. Waite, uh, Fuller, they didn't believe the King James was inspired. They believed the originals were inspired and the King James was an accurate translation of those. So even within the sort of King James only tradition, the 1980s position is different. And the sword of the Lord currently is different from those before then. So it's just been a transformation. Now, you can still say that they're right. You could say that 
Hiles was right and that Shelton Smith's right. I mean, you can say you can have a position on these things. The problem is when you say that it's sort of the historic or traditional or independent Baptist position instead of saying they got it. So I asked Shelton Smith what John R. Rice would do now. Like, that's a big question. Like, if Shelton Smith's saying something different than Rice, why the difference? So I asked him, I, I said, John R. Rice wasn't King James only. Why are you King James only? And it's because you still hold to his tradition. And he said, well, if Rice knew what we knew now. So what, what Shelton Smith is saying is that Rice died in 80. And so he knew Ruckman. He, he addressed directly to Ruckman. Uh, he addressed Dean Burgeon, um, D.A. Waite, David Otis Fuller, and denies what they believe. Agree with Bob Jones, because Bob Jones was never King James only. So Rice, actually, I think he wrote an article or a pamphlet that said, Why Bob Jones is Right on the Bible. Then he died in 80. So the question is, since 1980, has new evidence come out that would change Rice's position? And that's a question people have to answer for themselves, but I haven't seen anything. But that's the sort of Lord's position now, is why they're different than John R. Rice. And I think the historic reason why it became such a controversy was because of the NIV. And I maintain that Jack Hiles became radical after Rice died. Rice was sort of a temper. Uh, he tempered radicalism, <laughs> extremism, and Lee Robertson as well. And when, when Rice, Rice died in 1980 and Lee Robertson retired in 81, the mantle was sort of handed to Falwell and Hiles. Falwell goes and does sort of the college liberty, gets into politics, starts the moral majority, starts getting, gets Reagan elected in, in some ways. Hiles goes the other way and doubles down on like dress standards, um, just sort of living moral standards, and the King James Version becomes a debate. And so it's a divergence from the previous sort of broad independent Baptist of John R. Rice into a more narrow, which is interesting to watch Jerry Falwell's son, Jerry Falwell Jr., follow in his father's footsteps politically, and you wonder how far back that went. So what is the historic position of independent Baptists on the King James? There is no historic position. You could say that. It certainly isn't King James only. Though there was obviously parts of that. So if you'd like to give your thoughts, because I know some of you have some thoughts on that, feel free. We love all sorts of feedback, good and bad. And email us at the address Mark's about to give you. So if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com. You can message us at, on Twitter at History and Hope. We also have a Facebook group you can join and have a discussion with us. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice. And we would love to hear your ideas for topics. Yes. We're listener-driven. Tell us what you want us to talk about, and we'll probably do it. Preferably on history. Yes. History and hope yes. from a Baptist perspective. So, but we can be baited. <laughs> we can be baited to almost any topic. Yeah. So, give it your best shot. 